When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 206 of Sorta Awesome. And this week we are continuing our Sorta Awesome Stories Summer Series. Now, before we get to this week's Superstar Awesome and Her Story, I want to give a quick shout out to our Sorta Awesome Hangout group that I just mentioned. We talk about it all the time, but I don't think I can ever actually find enough words to say how very awesome our little community is over on Facebook. Honestly, you guys, it's not that little anymore. It's a group that started out as a few hundred women back in 2016. Now it has grown over 5,000 women who are committed to being a supportive, helpful, kind, and encouraging online community. We definitely do discuss topics from recent episodes of Sort of Awesome There, but we also do a lot of regular old girlfriend chatting too. So things like helping plan each other's vacations or share our latest favorite skin and beauty finds. Sometimes we also provide each other with constructive feedback on some of life's more difficult moments. It's honestly an amazing place to be. We really want each of you awesomes to know we would love to have you join us over there. It's very easy to do. All you got to do is search for Sorta Awesome Hangout on Facebook, or you can look us up directly by going to facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. Okay, friends, I know you are going to love hearing our story, our featured superstar awesome story this week. Paige Evers is a Lutheran pastor in Milford, Delaware. Now, Paige grew up in Washington State, but she's gradually made her way out to the East Coast with a stop in Minnesota, where she received her Master of Divinity degree from Luther Seminary in 2001. Paige and her husband, Eric, met at seminary, and they serve as pastors of Reformation Lutheran Church together. Paige and Eric have two children, a daughter who is 12, a son who's nine, All four of them love the town of Milford, which has been their home since 2010. Paige's ministry passions are faith formation across the generations, supporting parents as they pass on faith to their children, equipping people to use their gifts in ministry, 
and reaching out beyond the walls of the church to serve the community. So Paige, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Thank you. Hi, Meg. I am so excited to get to talk to you today. I actually feel like I have known you through the great, big, huge online world for years. I think even going back to my blogging days back at Sorta Crunchy. Yeah, it's been so fun to follow Sort of Awesome and its growth. And I've definitely been part of the community for a long time. So I'm just delighted to talk with you. So, so fun. I'm so looking forward to hearing all of your story. I feel like I know bits and pieces of it, but I can't wait to hear how it has all played out through the years. I mean, you definitely have some unusual parts of your story, being an ordained pastor as a woman in ministry. That in many parts of our country and in many parts of our faith is, you know, something people are kind of still getting used to. Yeah. But not only are you in ministry, but you also co-pastor with your husband. So I have so many questions about all of this. Okay. <laughs> I love talking about it. So I'm excited. I cannot wait to dig into that. And we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But first, let's do go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. As you all know, our Awesome of the Week is the moment in the show where we pause to talk about whatever is making life a little more awesome right now, whether it's books or TV shows, movies, podcast products, anything that is making life a little bit more sparkly right now. So Paige, I can't wait to hear what you brought for us. Sure. Well, I brought a creative practice and I do have a book to go with it so people can refer to this and find out what I'm talking about. But I wanted to share something I've been doing for about six years called watercolor journaling or sketch mm. journaling. Okay. Yeah, a lot of the awesomes love to journal and keep track of their family life and their personal life. But I really love watercolor journaling because it's a way of recording ordinary days with an artistic spin on it. Yeah. Yeah. So what I have, I've been working with a sketch journal, as I said, for about six years. I started this with a class that was offered in my hometown of Milford when I turned 40. It was a birthday present I requested from my family, and I went to a class to learn about sketchbook journaling that was taught by a local artist. So what it really is, is just thinking about what happens in your day or thinking about something in your home that you love or being on vacation and wanting to record your memories in a new way. And it's just as simple as a sketchbook and a pencil, a watercolor pen, and even your kid's watercolor set. It could be really simple. And just drawing what you've done or what you see or what you want to remember. I love doing it. It's something I don't have time for every day, but when I do have time to sit down and draw and sketch, it just opens up a creative outlet that's so different from the rest of my life. I just love doing it. The book I wanted to recommend is called Draw Your Day, An Inspiring Guide to Keeping a Sketch Journal. And it's by Samantha Dion Baker. And Samantha is on Instagram. That's how I found her. And she draws her day. She's a graphic artist in Brooklyn. And she shares her sketch pages on Instagram. And it's so inspiring to see what she does. And then she developed a book that covers the basics. If you're brand new to it, what kind of pencil to use and what kind of things to think about in your day, just recording what you eat or the coffee that you have, what you see. And then she gets into more advanced ideas too. If you're already an artist or someone who likes to play with art supplies, you can go a little yeah. deeper. I would recommend if awesomes are looking for a creative outlet or want to stretch what they do, or if they just 
love having their kids' art supplies around and want to do something with it themselves, look into keeping an illustrated journal or just starting that. That sounds so amazing. I love that incorporation of something really creative with just recording the little details of our day that are so easy to forget. But then when you look back over time, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I remember when I was going through that thing of like, all I did was drink, you know, a tea in the afternoon or whatever the thing is. Yeah. It's so easy to forget about that stuff, but to have a beautiful way to record it. Mm -hmm. I really love that. I'm glad you mentioned too, because I was going to ask if this is something that you do every day, or if it's kind of something that you sit down with and maybe do a little bit at a time or how that looks for you? Yeah, it's really changed from season to season of my life. When in the summer, when I'm on vacation, I have more time, then I'll definitely, I bring my supplies with me on the airplane even, you know, and it's something that when I have that time, I love to do it. Or if I come home from a vacation and I go through all of my little ticket stubs or brochures or maps and cut those up and you can incorporate collage and then write down what you did at that place. Yeah, it's a fun way to just make that vacation time continue. And when you mentioned about looking back on our days, when my son was in that stage of having a toddler bed, which just that's Mm -hmm. a quick, quick stage. He's nine now. But yeah, at that time, (laughs) I was doing some prompts because that's the other thing online, you can find so many illustrated journal prompts that will help you think about what to draw if you can't think of something. Something about the prompts was something in a bedroom. And he said, why don't you draw my toddler bed? And I'm so glad I did because that was such a short phase. And now I I can look at that page and see like, what were the favorite stuffed animals of that time? And what blanket did he use? And that bed is long gone. But when I look at that page and having sat and looked at it so carefully in order to draw it, and it's not anything that would be in a museum. I mean, this could just be a quick sketch. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes me back to that phase when he was little and just those great memories. So that's another reason I love doing it. I love it. Yeah. The reason I picked Samantha's book, I actually got to meet her in Brooklyn this winter. So my daughter and I went on a day trip to New York and I had kind of corresponded, like as you were saying, as internet friends with Samantha for a while. And I worked out that we were able to visit her in Brooklyn and see her sketchbook in person. And I brought my sketchbook and it was just so encouraging and affirming to have an artist that I admire, you know, take the time to look at my sketchbook and encourage me to keep going. So she's a wonderful person. So I encourage people to check out Samantha on Instagram, her work, and also her book if they're interested. So amazing to hear. I love it. We will for sure have a link in the show notes to both her book and her Instagram account. So that any awesomes who are looking for that creative inspiration, especially here in the summer, like you said, Mm -hmm. sometimes we have a little bit more relaxed schedule. We can actually kind of pick up and do some of the creative things that we've had kind of turning around in our head for a while. So I love that perfect timing too. Okay. Well, we'll have links in the show notes for that. My Awesome of the week. Your page is so thoughtful and beautiful and artistic. Mine's a little bit more superficial. Oh, well, let's hear it. Mine is a new lipstick find. A surprise to no one (laughs) that this is awesome in my life right now. But this is the Stila, I think is how you pronounce it, S-T-I-L-A. This is one of those I never know how to pronounce. And I always think I'm going to go like look up a beauty blogger or vlogger on YouTube. And then I always forget to anyway, it's either Styler or Stila, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's their sheer stay all day liquid lipstick. And it's in the shade Beso, like B-E-S-O, like Spanish for kiss. 
And I was super excited to find this. I found it at TJ Maxx of all places. (laughs) (laughs) TJ Maxx is such a great place, I think, to look for makeup, skincare, hair stuff. They have a ton of stuff that's, you know, probably either just like overstock or it's been Mm -hmm. discontinued, but it's completely like first quality product. So I happened to be in there picking up a gift for someone and I was like, I'll just scan the makeup file and see what I can find. So I saw this and the reason I grabbed it is because I've actually had this shade of Stella lipstick before, but it was in the matte and it's a beautiful shade of red. I love it. It's one of my favorite reds I've ever worn, but in the matte, it was just like too much. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it's still a liquid lipstick. So it goes on like a gloss. Mm. But it's going to stay, they say stay all day. I call it like a long wear lipstick. I mean, if you can make it last all day, then you're doing something better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) But it's definitely long wearing. So it goes on like a gloss, but it lasts much, much longer than a gloss would. But Mm. I love this shade of Beso. It's such a pretty like bluish red. I think it would be really complimentary on a lot of complexions. But the fact that this is their sheer version of it, It does make it look and feel a little bit, well, it's just like less intense, I guess you could say. So I have been super loving it. It's one of my probably top three favorite red shades. People often are asking what's a good red. And I think this is a really great starter red if you have never tried a red before, because again, it definitely gives you that red look, but Mm -hmm. without the intensity that some reds are going to give you because of that sheer factor. So, Oh, that's good. How shiny is it? By itself, I feel like it's not that shiny. It does not have that glossy look. It's just kind of maybe the intensity is just dialed down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But what you can do and what a lot of people like to do with these liquid lipsticks that are meant to be like long wear or all day lipsticks is have a separate just clear gloss that you can put on top. And that does, you know, if you like a glossy look or you want a glossy look for a certain occasion or whatever. Then you can just put that gloss on top and it may not stay through eating and drinking and all of those things, but it's super easy. You don't even have to look in a mirror to, you know, put a little bit more clear gloss on top. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. So it's really great. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. But again, if you have a TJ Maxx close by, I always highly recommend while you're in there. I think I'm not sure how much this retails for probably, I don't know, 15 or $16. And I think I got it for like $4.99 at TJ Maxx. So. Well, you can't go wrong. Exactly. And that's another fun thing too. If you've been wanting to experiment with a different color and they have all kinds of things besides lipstick, they have eyebrow kits and eyeshadow palettes, mascaras. If you've been wanting to experiment and play around with something, but you don't want to spend a ton of money, again, if you hit up your local TJ Maxx, you can get something that's going to be marked down. If it doesn't work at all, you don't feel as bad. Right. (laughs) You're out the money for it. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. So fun. Okay. Well, those were our awesomes of the week this week. We will have links in the show notes for you all. As always, you can come and find us on Instagram where every Friday morning we're asking about what is awesome in your life this week. Or like I was saying about our awesome hangout group, we are always talking about our awesomes of the week every Friday morning over there in our awesome of the week thread. So on Instagram, we're at Sorta Awesome Show. And again, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. 
Friends, this summer, the best way to discover new wines you're guaranteed to love is with First Leaf, the wine club that uses your feedback to curate wine selections to your unique tastes. Whether you're entertaining company or enjoying a warm summer night at home, First Leaf makes buying great wine easy. Here's what sets First Leaf apart. When you rate the wines you receive, First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes, and they only send wines that you'll love. This is perfect for someone like me. I don't really know how to describe what I like about wine, and with First Leaf, that's not a problem. You start out by taking their wine quiz to assess your exact wine drinking preferences. From sweetness to wine styles to even how adventurous you are in trying new wines, they are going to learn all about what you like. So I took the quiz and then firstly created an introductory six pack of wine for me, all for $29.95. Truly an introductory six pack of wine for $29.95. These are wine bottles that normally go for $20 a piece. When our bottles arrived, we tasted them, we rated them online. First Leaf took our ratings, the ones that we liked, and even the ones we didn't like, and selected new wines based on our taste for our next shipment. Our curated shipments just keep getting better. So try First Leaf Wine Club today, where buying great wine is simple. Awesomes, when you sign up, you're going to get that exclusive intro offer, six bottles of wine for $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com awesome. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus Free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash awesome. All right, Paige, you're in the hot seat now. <laughs> hey, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> it will probably be a lot more gentle than that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but I really am so excited to hear your story. Like I said, I've kind of gathered bits and pieces of it through the years. Let's just start at the beginning. What path? took you to finding your way into ministry? Because again, even though it's 2019, in lots of denominations and in lots of faiths outside of Christianity, even, it still seems unusual to have a woman who is full-time ordained ministry, full-time pastoring. So take us back to the beginning. How did your path into ministry begin? Oh, sure. Well, when I was growing up, I was part of a Lutheran church with my family. And I was always the kid at school. I felt like I was the only one that went to church. Growing up in the Northwest, there aren't a lot of church-going folks, or if there are, it's not something that people talk about. There's a very independent spirit out there. So I went to church. It was kind of the thing I did with my family, and I wasn't really involved in a youth group or anything. I just really loved going to worship and the faith that I was developing myself. I always had a great relationship with my pastors. But I never did have a female pastor, so it wasn't something I really saw. But I just loved going to church and having that faith as a part of my life. And then I went to Bryn Mawr College, which is a women's college outside Philadelphia. And I met a few people who went to church, and we had a funny arrangement. I didn't have a car when I was at college, and the Lutheran church was somewhere you had to drive. So my friend who was Lutheran with a car we would meet on the Sunday morning on the quiet campus, go to church. And then I always wanted to stay to help with the youth group there or stay for Sunday school. And she would go back to campus. So I would have to go around to these people and say, hey, can anyone drop me off back at Bryn Mawr after this class or after this <laughs> yes. lunch? And they were very gracious. And I think they were happy to have college students there. So, Oh, sure. Yeah. I always found my way back to campus. Yeah. So during that time, Seminary and becoming a pastor just kind of started as a little inkling in my brain that I thought was very strange because no one in my family was a pastor. I didn't have any female pastors at the time. 
but it was just kind of started. I think it was the Holy Spirit planting that seed. And another part of my story is that also growing up in the Northwest, I was able to study Japanese as a language. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I got to be an exchange student in Japan when I was in 10th grade. So I spent my whole 10th grade year in Japan. And then in college, I spent a year in Japan at college program. And so around the time that I was thinking about, do I want to be a pastor? But I have this whole Japanese side to my life and experience. I love living in Japan. How am I going to reconcile all of this? I had mentioned to my mom that I thought I was maybe interested in going into ministry. And I said, but you can't tell anyone, you know, don't tell my pastors. <laughs> I don't want any pressure. Yeah, I think we told my right. dad, but I just said, don't tell anybody. And she was on the staff at our church. She was a bookkeeper at the time. And I said, don't tell the pastors. And she's very quiet and subdued and trustworthy. So I knew my secret was safe with her. Yes. Yeah. A couple of weeks after that, my pastor sent me an article about the Lutheran church in Japan. And he said, yeah, I know you love Japan and here's an article about the church there. And I thought you might be interested in this path. And so, of course, immediately I accused my mom of telling Pastor Steve <laughs> <laughs> my secret. And she said, no, I didn't say anything to him. And right around that time as well, one of my friends at college said, you know, Paige, you should think about being a pastor just oh, out of the wow. blue. And so, you know, when all of those things start all, combining, yes. oh my goodness, I really thought, okay, God, I need to pay attention to this. I'm paying attention to this. Yeah. So I started looking into what would it take to be a pastor? I didn't know anyone who had done that. So I looked into the various Lutheran seminaries in the country and visited some when I happened to be in, there was one at that time in Berkeley, California. I, I was visiting a friend there. So I visited that one. The Philadelphia Seminary was close to Bryn Mawr, so I was able to visit that. And then I was on a road trip driving from Philadelphia back to Washington State, coming home from college one summer, and then I stopped at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. And that's where my pastors had gone, and it was the biggest Lutheran seminary at that time. So I thought, you know, growing up in the Northwest where just even going to church at all was unusual, I kind of felt like to go to seminary, I wanted to be in Minnesota where there so many Lutherans and yes, yeah, a large seminary and a lot of academic opportunities there. So that's where I chose. But between college and seminary, again, I had that Japan part of my life that I wanted to explore. So I applied to seminary my senior year of college and I was accepted. But then I ended up deferring going for three years because I wanted to try using my Japanese skills to work. I also kind of wanted to break from school because I'd just oh, been sure. on that path, you know, for so yes. long. I wanted to, yeah, just get out in the world and have an apartment and have a job and experience all of that. So I did end up working a couple of different careers almost, but one of them did take me back to Japan. I worked for a software company that was developing English language teaching software. So I had my dream fulfilled. I had my own apartment in Japan. I had a job. I rode my bike to get groceries because I didn't have a car, you know, just all these yes. great, great things I got to experience in another country. But across those three years, that idea of becoming a pastor never went away. And I kept deferring every year. I would check in with Luther Seminary and say, I'm still interested, but not yet. And mm -hmm. it's not time yet. So finally, after three years working in Japan, coming back and working in Washington State, I thought, I think it's time. I can't keep running away from this. <laughs> <laughs> and by that time, my home church in Washington State had called a female pastor. 
And so I got to know her and she was really encouraging. And finally, I could kind of see someone embodying the ministry that I had hoped to do, which was great. I talked with her when I was finally getting ready to take that plunge and go off to seminary. And that was, she was a wonderful guide for me for that. That's so great. Before you go on to the next part, you were, I just think it is so great that you had the wisdom, even, you know, in your early 20s, as you were graduating from college, to sort of like check in with what we might say, you might say like the Holy Spirit or your intuition or whatever, but to realize that this not only was the ministry thing really on your heart, and that was really a direction that you were discerning, but also this connection to Japan was something that you wanted to explore. I think so often when it comes to a time where we have to decide something, we tend to view it like it's either this or that. And you were able to maybe, again, just intuitively at this younger age in your life, see that it could be both and. Like I can both, and you were in a situation where the seminary allowed you to defer for a few years. So that's good. And we don't always have that choice. Mm -hmm. But you were able to say, I do both want to go to seminary and I also want to really experience Japanese culture, which I've been, you know, interested in and working towards for a long time. And I just love that, that you were able to really live that out before you moved into this next chapter of your life. I think that's so remarkable that you sensed that already at such a young age. Thank you. I'm glad it worked out that way. There was a lot of pressure on the Japanese language side, especially in my program when I was in college, because everyone was kind of on a track to do something with Japanese after they graduated. At that time, I didn't know what that would look like, but I love Japan. I love the opportunity to be there. I have host families that I'm still connected with and write letters to and exchange Christmas presents with. And, you know, so it's a part of my life, even if it's not the career path that I chose. So I'm glad. But the timing, yeah. So if I can go to the next phase. What's the next chapter look like for sure? (laughs) The timing was critical. I'm so thankful for it. But It was in June when I realized, okay, I do want to go to seminary. And I thought, well, at this point, it's too late to start in September, but I'll contact Luther Seminary and just find out what I need to do to update my application. Maybe I can start in January. And so I called the seminary and they said, well, actually, our admissions committee is meeting tomorrow. So if you can update us by tomorrow on what you've been doing for the last three years, (laughs) then can consider you for September. Oh my goodness. I uh, thought this was in 1997. So this is really before email and scanning and, you know, all these things that we would think today. Sure, I can send you an update. So I am so thankful for my dad. We turned this into a great father-daughter caper where I furiously (laughs) typed up my whole explanation, what I've been doing, what my faith life had looked like why I wanted to go now. And he was finding out where's a Kinko's that we could go to at midnight to fax this to the seminary. Yes. <laughs> it was great. So he and I, you know, almost pulled an all-nighter together to Oh my gosh, and, I love it. Yeah, I get this information to Luther Seminary, but it got there and they made it so I could come in September. So before I knew it, I was packing things up and getting ready to move to Minnesota and I got an engine block heater for my car because, you know, it gets so cold there and I would have my car outdoors. So I had to make sure my car was going to work when I got to Minnesota and everything. So it was really wonderful. I really loved Luther Seminary and it's a great community. I learned a lot. And, you know, this is the first time I was really around a lot of people that shared my faith. 
I didn't really have that growing up and I didn't have it college, but suddenly I'm surrounded by Lutherans and I was in my element. I loved it. From the academic side, we had chapel every day. I made a lot of good friends, other women going into ministry and men as well. But it was just a wonderful time. And after seminary, to become a pastor at that time in the Lutheran church, it was a master's program that took four years to complete. So it was two years of classes. And then one year you would go away on internship and you'd be an intern pastor at a church somewhere in the world. And then you would come back for your fourth year to have more classes. And now there are some more online options and it's not quite as disruptive to have to move away for four years and everything. But at that time, it was a four-year commitment. So at the end of my second year there, I started noticing this guy who was in his fourth year and he had come back from internship in New York and we had some classes together and his name was Eric Evers. I was working at the desk at the campus center where the switchboard was for the seminary and it was a great job because you could sit there and kind of monitor what was going on in the campus center, but also study. Yeah. In the winter session, I was doing an independent study. So I had a big pile of books from the library and he came through the campus center and he says that he first noticed my tall stack of books and he thought, (laughs) oh, and I'm not very tall. I'm five feet tall. And he looked behind the stack of books and then he saw me. (laughs) And then we started talking (laughs) and now we're married. Oh my gosh. That is one of the best first impression stories I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Eric was in his fourth year, as I said, I was in my second year and he's from Massachusetts. So he's from Massachusetts. I'm from Washington state. And we met in Minnesota at Luther Seminary. We just hit it off right away. After we chatted at that desk, we ran into each other. Well, I thought we ran into each other. I think he kind of planned it, but we Uh, saw each other again. Yeah. And he said, oh, Paige, you know, I was wondering if you'd like to go out for, and he paused and I said, dinner? And he said, well, I was thinking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I just thought, oh, I was real cool. You know, of course I said, oh, coffee, coffee would be great. Sure. I like coffee. And meanwhile, he was, you know, high-fiving himself inside because he was trying to start slow and I was jumping to dinner. Right, right. Yeah. So we went out for coffee and we didn't even notice that they were starting to put all the chairs up on the tables and start sweeping the floor around us, you know, because we were just talking so much. That was how we met at Luther. And we actually started dating the day after he graduated from seminary and he was staying on campus to work over the summer. And he had this bargain that he had put with God, which was, God, please don't let me graduate from seminary still single. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't want to have to go into a parish somewhere and, you know, figure out how to date as a pastor. And people do it. That's a whole other thing. So, you know, God answered his prayer in God's own time. We met the day after he graduated. So Eric was already in the process to come to a church in Maryland and serve as an associate pastor there. And I was still in school. So we had kind of a long distance relationship. I actually was going off to my internship in California. And so during the year that I was in California as an intern pastor, and he had started working at a church in Maryland, we got engaged on New Year's Eve of that year. So we had a long distance engagement and Mm -hmm. we got married then in August of 2000. 
we got married at the church where he was serving in Maryland. Oh, how fun. How wonderful. Yeah. That's so great. Hey friends, when was the last time you fastened your bra and thought to yourself, now this bra is awesome. If you can't remember having a moment like that, then you need to meet Third Love. Third Love bras are my favorite bras because Third Love actually understands that bodies are all different. In fact, Third Love now has 78 bra sizes with bands ranging from 30 to 48 inches and cups from AA to I. And not only can you find all those sizes in their very awesome t-shirt bras, you can also find them in their gorgeous lace balconette. And listen, if you wear an extended size like I do, you know it's almost impossible to find a bra in our size range that fits and makes you feel sexy and beautiful. So get yourself the third love. Take their Fit Finder quiz in just a few minutes from the comfort of your own home and you can order your new favorite bra from Third Love knowing that they have a 100% fit guarantee. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for every body. So right now, you awesomes can get 15% off of your first order when you go to thirdlove.com awesome right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off of your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com awesome for 15% off today. Okay, friends, if these hot summer days have you daydreaming of the fall ahead of us, don't worry, FabFitFun has got you covered. The 2019 FabFitFun Fall Box is now on pre-sale. FabFitFun is a women's lifestyle subscription box filled with full-size premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and tech products that's sent straight to your door every season. The Fall Box is the perfect way to treat yourself or others and get yourself ready for autumn with this carefully curated box of products. The box has everything you need for your best fall yet. I absolutely loved getting my first FabFitFun box. It was so much fun to open it like Christmas morning times 100. I could not believe how many products were in there, not only health and beauty products, which you know I am absolutely a sucker for, and probably my favorite thing in the entire box was a Jennifer Zuner star double necklace that I have worn all summer long. I think it's so awesome that some of the items in each box are customizable so you can totally curate the box to your specific interests. Remember that the FabFitFun box retails for $49.99, but it always has a value of over $200. So if you're ready to get all geared up for fall, use coupon code SORTAAWESOME for $10 off of your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. Again, that's the fall 2019 FabFitFun box on pre-sale right now and use coupon code SORTAAWESOME for $10 off off of your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. Okay. And so that began not only your marriage together, but then kind of like figuring out, so we're both called into ministry, into pastoring. What is this going to look like? Mm -hmm. I'd love if you could just kind of, you know, catch us up to what the path looked like the next few stops along the way before you all landed in Milford. So after we got married, I spent a semester studying through a different seminary that was closer to our home in Maryland. And then for the last part of my last year of seminary, I did go back to Minnesota and just stayed in a dorm and kind of finished it up, which was a great last hurrah with all my friends yeah. at seminary. So that was fun. Then I was called, my first call was in Baltimore. So I was an associate pastor at a church in the city. And meanwhile, Eric was still at his call outside of Baltimore. So I commuted about 45 minutes to that church and he was five minutes from his church. So that worked out well. But we started out at different churches. And I think that was helpful because we 
got to kind of get established on our own and yeah, figure out our own ministry temperament and style and our ministry passions. And then we also had mentors within our congregations because we both started out as associate pastors. So we were the second pastor on staff. And then after a couple of years, I had the opportunity to move to become a solo pastor at a congregation that was closer to where we lived. And it was really a great fit. My second church had been founded by a mission pastor, and he'd been there for about 30 years. So I was the second pastor coming in to this congregation. And it was a wonderful time because they were kind of ready to go from a mission developer standpoint where the pastor did everything because he had to. He was starting it from scratch. And then when I got there, and one of my passions is really helping people discover their gifts and to equip people to do ministry and to let them experience that joy of doing ministry. So they were ready for that when I got there. And so that was a really nice fit with my leadership style. And I was there for six years at that congregation. And being solo really helped me because I had to do everything. You know, anything that came up for the pastor to do, I did it. And that was a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. So during that time when I was solo and Eric was still an associate, our first daughter was born, first child, our daughter. And so I went down from full-time, just a little bit down, not half-time, but somewhere in between. And we made that work. So we had daycare for her a few days during the week. And then on Sundays, there's a wonderful woman in my congregation who was kind of an honorary grandmother. Since our families live far away from us, we had this woman at my church who took care of Sigrid is our daughter's name. She kept Sigrid during the service and Sigrid would fall asleep on her lap. And it was so cute. And she would wonderful. Yeah. She would bring her back to our home and then wait for us there until one of us got home from church. And then she would be on her way. So that worked out really well with one child. Yeah. And then then three years later, our son, his name's Soren. And when Soren was born, that was just a lot to ask of someone in our congregation needed to take care of both. And I thought about being a stay-at-home mom and I loved working and having our child, but also once there were two of them and not having family nearby and having two congregations, we thought, you know, this might be the time for one of us to step back. Yeah. So I was home with the kids then for about six years. And it was during that time that I was staying at home with them that Eric was called to the church in Milford, where we are now, to Reformation. So we moved here in 2010 with a almost four-year-old and almost one-year-old. Wow. And so at the time when the call came for Eric, was there one position or was there the possibility that, you know, in the future, like kind of help us to understand, because again, now you Mm -hmm. all are co-pastoring there together. What did that transition look like? It was a full-time position for Eric. So we knew that coming and I knew that Soren was only one, so I would be home for a while. And we were just open to God's leading with that. You know, there are not a lot of Lutheran churches around here, but there are some. So we thought Eric was pretty sure he would want this to be a long-term call for him. And we thought, well, either something will open up in the area where I can serve or who knows, maybe something would happen at Reformation. But we weren't counting on that. It wasn't part of the stated process or anything. But when we moved to Milford, then it was actually the first time that we could all be together in one congregation as a family. And that was wonderful. We loved that. Just having one place where we could all get to know people and establish relationships. And 
it didn't take me long to have the itch to want to do something at the church. I bet. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I actually started a parenting group that met on Sunday mornings so when the children were in Sunday school. Then I led a group with parents and we would do a book study or just check in and support one another. And so I did that. And then we started developing an intergenerational ministry program that came kind of through me because we have what's called a synod of Lutheran congregations. So all the Lutheran churches in Delaware and most of Maryland are together under one bishop. And I, just to keep my toe in the water of ministry, I agreed to serve with a group of pastors on developing intergenerational ministry programs for churches. So I was kind of doing that as an extra volunteer project. And through that process, we were looking for congregations that would want to be involved in a pilot program for intergenerational ministry. And then some people in my church started saying, well, why don't we be a part of that? Let's be a pilot program. And oh, wow. that was, yeah, really wonderful because I didn't force it on Reformation. Like it really bubbled up from them. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the bigger committee that was working with a consultant to our synod. And I mean, all the pieces just fit together so well. So I was able to get involved in starting that. We call that recreation is the name of our lunch and learning program. So I started that as a volunteer in our congregation. So then when it came time for our son to go to kindergarten, and I was starting to want to get back into ministry. And part of this is too, that I was officially on leave from call. It's what it's called with our synod. I needed to keep up my credentials and stay active as a pastor. I couldn't just drop off the radar screen and then suddenly appear and say, hey, you know, please put me back in a church. Right, 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 right. Yes. I was fortunate that I was able to stay home, but I was, you know, it was time I had to make a decision what I was going to do next. And kindergarten was the perfect time for that. And so my husband and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if we could work together at Reformation? Because I had put down roots there. I had gotten involved. I loved the people there. And I had gotten involved in Milford outside of the church as well. So we just started having a conversation with some of the church leadership. And they said, you know, they had not been unaware of the fact that I was also a pastor. I never felt any pressure that I would join the staff there, but it all really was in God's timing to make that happen. So it seems like in so many different areas of your life, just kind of being open to and waiting on the timing and the circumstances to work together. It really is, I'm sure, you know, at the time it was difficult, but as you're looking back and telling the story, it's amazing to see how things continue to fall into place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not a very easygoing person. <laughs> I think I have a calm presence, but I do like to know 10 steps ahead what's going on. So it takes a lot of trust. I think, you know, trusting and God trusting in those around you. Definitely. It's a great journey, but yeah, trust is important. Well, and I think too, another thing that is really evident is that you stayed open to possibilities. And I think that we as humans, like just a really big tendency in human nature is to think that how things are right now is how they're always going to be. And so, you know, as you transitioned away, from your role as pastor, where you were when your children were born, into staying home with your kids for a while, I think sometimes it might be easy to think like, well, you know, I have this degree, I've done ministry, but now I'm a stay-at-home mom now. And to not necessarily keep the radar 
uh, for, you know, whatever changes might come along. So I think that that's a really, you know, a great reminder. And again, when you're in the trenches of it, when you're in the moment, you may not feel quite so zen about <laughs> right, right. <laughs> about staying open. But again, as we look back over the way things have worked out in life, I think that just being open to like, this is what's right for us right now can really help speak to a lot of those like, oh, I wish I was doing this or that. And really, you know, kind of looking at and focusing on what is right for right now. And I think your story is a great illustration of that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And then when it was time when I wanted to approach Reformation or when we were talking about my possibly serving there, I did go through a regular, what we call a call process. So there was a committee formed in the church that reviewed my paperwork. We had the bishop's involvement, you know, to say, yes, Reformation is able to call page. I had an interview process. So that was really important to me and to the congregation because this wasn't just, oh, well, the pastor's wife is coming on staff. And it was a leap of faith for Reformation as well because they had only ever had one pastor. And we didn't double the staffing. My husband and I share, it's about one and a quarter time position among the two of us. So my husband was gracious enough to, he stepped down or step back a little bit of his time, you know, and then I came on staff. And so he works now a little bit more than I do, you know, time-wise during the week, but we're sharing that one and a quarter time. But that's a stretch for a congregation to say, yes, we don't know what this is going to be like or how this is going to work. It's more of a financial commitment to bring on another pastor, but let's see how this goes and how God may be calling us to do this. So then the, and the congregation voted on it, you know, so it was a congregational decision and I've loved every minute. That's so amazing. I'm so thankful. Yeah. I do have some follow-up questions because I think it is so remarkable that you and your husband are in this position where you're co-pastoring a church. So you're working alongside each other genuinely, like this is your actual J-O-B for both of you <laughs> to work mm-hmm. together. <laughs> and you're also doing this in a profession that has a lot of stress. That's not exactly a profession where you can leave all of the details of like office life at the office. I've right. obviously mm-hmm. never been in ministry, but I can only imagine that there are a lot of ways where the things that are happening within your congregation or even the larger church outside of your congregation, it's all really integrated into your life. So I was wondering for those of us who are awesomes and who are like, how is this working for you guys? What are some of the biggest things that you've learned about working together that you think would be, you know, sort of valuable to share with the awesomes? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think it's been really helpful that we have our own lanes, so to speak, at Mm -hmm. our congregation. So we do the major things together. We share preaching responsibilities and worship leadership, and we're both on our church council or, you know, the board of people that help run the day-to-day operations of church. So some of that we both do. So I feel like we're both considered fully pastors. We both perform weddings and funerals and baptisms. But then when it comes to ministry areas, Eric focuses more on long-term planning and he's the head of staff. He works with, we have a daycare at our church, so the daycare director and the music director and the secretary, and he focuses on the financial aspect of the church. I get to do what I consider the more fun stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's fun. I mean, he loves what he does and I love what I do. So we complement each other in that way. So I get to focus on faith formation and youth ministry, family ministry, 
and our intergenerational program that I mentioned. You know, I can always check in with him and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this project or this service event with the youth. What do you think? And then he can ask me, I'm thinking about these people for these leadership positions. Do you have any other ideas? So mm, yeah, we can talk with each other about that. Yeah, but it's nice to have ownership of our own areas as well and the areas that really utilize our gifts the best. So that helps. But also communication is so important. I mean, any family knows the logistics can take over your life. Yes. Yeah, but having positions like we do where Every day can look really different. One of us might have to drive an hour away to visit someone in the hospital. So who's going to pick up the child after their sports practice, you know? So right. We have the flexibility during the week for different things for our family. And plus, since we both are working not full time, that gives us a little bit of breathing room. But we have to communicate. So we have our time in the morning where we're hosting. Let's go over what's happening today. Yes. <laughs> who's doing what? Yeah. And luckily... Milford is a small town and our kids' activities are close by. So everything is pretty close unless there's an unusual ministry event that we need to go to. So communication, as far as logistic goes, and communication for what we're doing at work. But then also communication in terms of, as you mentioned, it's easy to take this home and mm -hmm. just have this be a 24-7 work conversation. And so we've learned, even when we were at different churches, to say, this happened today and I'm going to tell you about it but I'm not looking for advice. Could you just please listen? Yes. You know, so especially when our field is exactly the same. Yes. Oh my goodness. It's even easier to say, well, did you think about doing this? Or how about that? Or why don't we try this? And I'm constantly working on this because if I think of something, I want to say it right away. <laughs> so I keep a running list on my phone of, we do have a staff meeting that's in the church office with the two of us. And I just keep a staff meeting list. So those things that aren't urgent that we want to check in about or we haven't talked about for a while, I just, and he does the same thing. Yeah, we just keep these lists going. So when we have that dedicated time, when we won't be interrupted, when we're in the church building, we can go through our list and, you know, just handle that as you would with any coworker. We just happen to be married. That is so smart. There's really something I think very powerful and very true about moving communications to like sort of maybe like a neutral site or for you guys to your actual job site so that it's not really connected to what, you know, the daily business of your home life. That is so smart. And I think such a great solution for a lot of those things that could, you know, I know being a work from home person myself, sometimes that work life boundary gets so smushy. <laughs> Right, right. So anything that you can do to kind of separate it a little bit and move something to a place where it's like, okay, now I'm in like work mode. And, you know, when you're at home, now we're in home mode. I think that is so, so smart. Yeah, it's worked well. Hey, awesomes. You guys know that I'm totally a sucker for anything that smells good. My latest order from Grove.co was filled with products that not only smell fantastic, they're also safe and healthy. I've been a fan and customer of Grove.co for years because Grove Collaborative is the online marketplace that delivers all natural home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Grove takes the guesswork out of going green. 
everygrove.co product is guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet so you can save time reading confusing labels. That's why my latest order had some of my old favorites like the Method Wood Floor Cleaner that has that yummy almond smell. I also grabbed the brand new Mrs. Meyers Grove Collaboration, their hand soap in Compassion Flower. Even if you don't normally like flowery scents, I think you'll love Compassion Flower. And of course, you know how much I love those Grove Collaborative candles. I've been burning them in my house for years. This time I tried out the grapefruit and lemon peel scent and it is amazing. It's so awesome that with Grove, you don't have to shop multiple stores or search endlessly online to get all the natural goods you need for you and your family. You can join over half a million families who trust Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier. Plus, shipping is fast and free on your first order. So for a limited time, when you guys go to grove.co slash awesome and place an order of $20 or more, you're going to get a free five-piece cleaning set from Mrs. Meyer and Grove, a $30 value. Go to grove.co slash awesome to get this exclusive offer. Grove.co slash awesome. Awesomes, you know, hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. That's where LinkedIn comes in. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals and discover new job opportunities. In fact, LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profiles and apply to 35 job posts every two seconds. That's how they make sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability, LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. In fact, I think that's the most awesome part of LinkedIn. Those recommended matches for candidates get smarter over time to help you really find the perfect match for the role you need filled. So to get $50 off of your first job, post, go to linkedin.com slash awesome. Again, that's linkedin.com slash awesome to get $50 off of your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply. We do also try to protect our days off. We have Monday off together. So we're not always doing things together, but just knowing that's a day we're not going to talk about work and we can do, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we put together some furniture or something. Yeah. Just things or going out for coffee or just something that we can do. It's nice. The kids are in school, so we can just have lunch together or something like that. And just, we try to protect those days. We'd rather have longer days that are work days, work at night, and then just know that we have Monday free. And the same with vacations. We almost always take our vacation time together. That's now that our kids are getting into, my daughter plays violin. So she has a violin camp this summer that my husband will be going along with her to that as a parent who works with Suzuki violin with her. He's had to change up his vacation a little bit to make room for that. But normally when we go on vacation, it's as a family. We try to go away. And luckily my parents are in Washington state, his are in Massachusetts. So even just seeing the grandparents involves a vacation and getting out of town. And those are really great times. And we try to do that for two weeks in the summer, you know, so we just have a chance to catch our breath and get reacquainted with each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're so fortunate at our congregation now, we have a lot of retired pastors. So we have folks that'll take over on Sundays and be available for emergencies during the week. If someone goes in the hospital or you know, if there's a death or something. We feel so thankful to have people that are taking care of our flock yes. while we're away. So when we don't check church email while we're away, you know, we're both have healthy boundaries with that. So we can yeah. protect that family time and focus on Sabbathing and 
having that refreshment that we need so we can come back and really serve fully, you know, the way we want to when we are here. So, so important to do. And it sounds like you guys, I'm sure, have learned through some trial and error through the years. Yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. How to make that work. Well, I know one of the biggest things that you feel passionately about and has kind of been a thread through, it sounds like, all these chapters of your life is really building community, getting out there, like you said, you know, even getting outside of the walls of the church. But it sounds like even in your personal life, getting out into the community is a very big value for you. And we talk about this often in the Hangout group because I think this is such a need that many of us have is to have these stronger connections with our communities. But sometimes it's hard to know, like, I want to do this, but where do I start? And so I was wondering, since this is a passion for you and something you've been doing personally and professionally, what advice do you have for people who want to be more community-minded and involved, but don't exactly know where to start? When we moved to Milford in 2010, we did not know anyone. So we had uh, Reformation, the church where my husband was called to, and they were very warm and welcoming and a wonderful community that we were mostly saw on Sundays. You know, for me, I was home with the young children. So during the week and days outside of Sunday, I was on my own. So, and my son wasn't sleeping too. Mm. He was one that took a long time to sleep through the night. That was an intense summer, being in a new place, new people. We were kind of in a temporary housing situation while we were looking for a house to buy. So a lot was in flux. And so I made the best of it, visited a lot of libraries and parks and yeah. tried to start to just find community. And one thing I noticed right away when we moved to Milford was that there was a campaign going on in the city called This Place Matters. And in the paper and on social media, there would be pictures of people holding up a sign that says, this place matters. And I thought, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I wonder what that's about. So I tracked down the office that was coordinating it. It was called Downtown Milford Incorporated. And it was a nonprofit that promoted Milford's downtown. And our city has around 10,000 people at the time and one quaint historic downtown area. And so I found out about this group and then at the same time, I had heard about a music class that was great to have our kids involved in. I was looking for anything, you know, anything for young children, for young families. So I had my daughter at this music class and I was in the waiting room. And this is what I love about Milford. There are so many overlapping connections with people. So another mom that I met there, she was involved with Downtown Milford Incorporated. So of course, I had to ask about it and we started talking and then I was invited to serve on her committee. That was a part of DMI is a short name for that. And so I ended up on this organization committee. I didn't know anything about Main Street or economic development. I mean, this is outside of my field for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I was looking for a way to volunteer and give back to this town that I was starting to get to know. And I wanted it to be where I could interact with adults. Yes. And, you know, I had a great time with my kids and taking them to kids activities, but I thought, wow, this is something that helps the town. It's new adults I can get to know and maybe I have something to offer. Yeah. So I would suggest to Awesomes, even if something seems way outside your realm or your area of expertise, your comfort zone, just pursue it, you know, see what happens. Because I served on that committee for a while and then I became the first volunteer coordinator that the organization had had. So that fit my passion of matching up people with their gifts and finding ways for them to serve. That's something I did in my church as a pastor and now I got to do it in the community. And during this time, as a fundraiser, this downtown group came up with an event called Eat in the Street. 
And it was a one night event where we had a big rectangle table that fit about a hundred people just in the middle of our main street. And I got to help find the volunteers to put that event on. And it was wonderful. People just celebrated being in Milford, enjoying the food we have to offer and the evening and the event and celebrating our community. And that was only a couple of years after living here, but already I was so thrilled to be able to help and give back. And I really got to know some wonderful people through that. And again, just sort of like being open, like, well, I don't know. I've never done this part before, but let's just see what happens. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's the best yeah. approach to take. Sometimes I do think we convince ourselves like, well, I don't know how to do that. So I can't. And for some of these, maybe like maybe a little bit more lower stakes, it feels like, like organizing something or just volunteering for a committee where you can be honest and be like, I've never done this before, but let's see what we can make happen. I think that can be such a great entry point into getting into these organizations. And then before you know it, you're like, oh, I actually do know how to do this part of it and this part and just see where it goes from there. Yeah. And then I was invited to be on the board of directors for this group. I did decline that for a couple of years, but they kept asking. And I did read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, around that time. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I don't have to have this all figured out before I say yes. If they see something in me or they see just the fact that I care so much about this community and I can listen and try to figure things out as I go and offer what I can and not pretend to have more knowledge than I do. But, you know, as, if I can ask good questions, maybe that's... Yes my role here. That's my part to play. So then I did serve on the board of TMI. And it got to the point through all of these experiences where my husband is so committed and faithful to the congregation, but that was his realm. And I really got to know the town and people in the community. So it got to be a joke where people would meet Eric Evers and they'd say, oh, nice to meet you. And then someone would pipe up, you know, that's Paige's husband. And they'd be like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, your page <laughs> husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> we joke about that. He's a good sport about it. That's so funny. Yeah, that totally flips the script on a lot of women are like, that's so-and-so's wife. But <laughs> in right, your town, right, yeah. Eric is known as Paige's husband. <laughs> yeah. Another way that I got to develop community outside the congregation was one day I saw a Facebook post was from a mutual friend of a friend sharing someone's post, you know, these chains, but it said, you know, I'd like to start a book club. Would anyone want to help me start this? And I saw that and I thought, oh, well, that's, you know, a secondhand post, but I know that original person. Yeah. And actually I met her through downtown Milford Incorporated. And for a while, I had been talking with my friends about books. And I think they are a little bit tired of it. Like, Paige, why don't you just start a book club? If you're reading this much and want to talk about books, how about a book club? And I'd always thought, well, I'm new here. I don't know that many people. I don't know if I can do it. My kids are young. You know, it's just another thing. Could I do it? But when I saw someone else asking, I thought, well, I could join forces with somebody and do this. So totally. Yeah. So in fall of 2013, we had our first organizing meeting at my house to start a book club. And I invited a handful of friends. She invited a handful of friends. And here it is almost six years later, our book club's been meeting once a month in each other's homes on a Friday night. And we've read a book every month. And it's been incredible. I encourage anyone who is interested in starting something like that. It's really easy and it's been so rewarding. I mean, these are 12 women who I don't necessarily 
talk to every day or text every day. You know, some of them I know better than others. Some of them are neighbors. So I see them more often, but we would crawl over broken glass for each other, you know, just through meeting regularly, monthly and talking. And one thing I think that makes our book club unique is we do talk about the book, you know, people always joke about a book club that doesn't actually right, right, right. <laughs> but they kind of joke that one day they're going to hand me a gavel because I do say, well, let's get back to the book, you know, and, and <laughs> let's talk no, about somebody it. Somebody has to be that person, Paige, right, so right, I'm glad yeah. that you do that for your group. <laughs> yeah, but then we do share a time that we call highs and lows, where everybody knows to come, you know, with a thought in mind of a highlight of their week or of their life since the last time they were able to be there, and also a low. And we used to do that at the beginning of our time together because it was kind of, I brought that to the group as like kind of an icebreaker to get to know each other before we talk about the book. But then it got to be so long that we had to, you know, took so much time because everyone was sharing right. so much. We're like, well, let's do the book discussion first. And then if anyone has to go for childcare arrangements or for whatever reason, they, you know, at least have a chance to talk about the book and then, but most time everyone can stay and we'll talk till 11 at night. You know, this is on a Friday when we're all moms. Many of us work, you know, we're exhausted, but this is where, you know, we've built that trust over time where people can really share what's going on, you yeah. know, beyond the, oh, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? But, you know, I've been in the spot where I've held it together for the whole book discussion. And then once you have, you know, 11 other women who you trust so deeply, focusing their attention on you and you have a chance to share what's really going on in your life or in your heart. I mean, it's just, there've been a lot of tears, you know, a lot of laughter, but a lot of tears too, because you have that community that you trust. Oh, I love that. Yeah. They tease me about, oh, I, I was driving here. I was thinking, oh no, she's going to make me talk about highs and lows. <laughs> but I think, you know, everybody <laughs> enjoys it. It's a time when you can get to a level of depth that is hard to get to otherwise when you're busy and passing quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's so important to, I mean, those types of conversations, sadly, for the most part in our busy lives don't happen organically as much as we might like for them to. Mm -hmm. So to have like a sort of organized, scheduled time to come together for that. And I do think, you know, book discussions can really become really personal in and of themselves because all oh, of us yes. as leaders are engaging with the text and, you know, mm -hmm. talking about how this reminded us of this part of our lives or whatever. So that really builds intimacy and community, I think. But then to have the added in, let's talk about our actual lives part of it. That's just so smart. And I can totally see how it would be a key to longevity for your book club group, which has been together for, you know, six years. That's pretty remarkable, is that you've built those connections in addition to your book discussions over time. So totally makes sense. Yeah. And it's nice that given that we live in the small town, I mean, we run into each other at events downtown or the farmer's market. And yeah. yeah. And oh, another thing about the book club that for awesomes that would consider starting one, we did have some guidelines from the beginning just about if you didn't finish the book, come anyway, but people are allowed to discuss the ending, you know, the today where it's like, I don't want any spoilers, but well, some people did finish the book, so they should be allowed to talk about it. Totally. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but our most important guideline has been about confidentiality. You know, whatever gets discussed at book club doesn't leave that room. And that's really important because, as I said, we do live in a small town. I mean, everybody knows everybody or you can figure out who people are talking about, you know. Yeah. So that's just something from the very first meeting. We established that and, you know, that's been important and allows people to open up yes. yeah, in a good way. 
I love it. That sounds like a true shining example of awesome right there. Oh, so. So great. <laughs> and I love too, that you were like, I want to do this, but I don't know if I can do it on my own. I don't know if I have the bandwidth or the capacity mm. to get it going on my own. And again, it just happened that the timing came along where you could partner with somebody. Sometimes that makes it less intimidating too, when it's not all on you. If you can be like, hey, let's try to do this together, collaborate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that makes a big difference in being able to get into something, you know, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Paige, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. There's so many takeaways here about waiting on the right timing, being open, And just kind of listening to that intuition to know when the timing is right to jump into something. So this has been so encouraging. I know for me and I know for tons of awesomes who are listening today. So for people who might have any follow-up questions or just want to kind of reach out and connect with you and see what's going on in your life, where's a good place for us to find you? Instagram is the best place. I'm at Pastor PGE on Instagram. That's a public page. So I've shared even some of my sketches there if people want to see what that looks like with sketchbook journaling and also some things about ministry and family life. And if people want to talk more with some of the ministry that I've done with intergenerational programs, I have talked to people around the country about that. Sometimes people will hear what our church is doing in that area and get in touch with me. So I'm happy if people have specific ministry questions to talk with them and Perfect. Yeah, they can get yeah. Over there. We can go from there or in the Superstar Hangout or the Sort of Awesome Hangout. We could chat there with everyone too. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time and coming and sharing your story with us. Like I said, there's lots to think about here. So, so appreciate it. Awesome. You know, you can find me at Sort of Awesome Meg all around the web. You can find us over on Twitter at Sort of Awesome Pod. The show is on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show, and you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer, and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer, and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.